Well, good morning, church, and welcome. My name is Andrew, and I am so blessed to get to be the senior pastor here at Reach Church. And if this is your first time, we especially want to welcome you, whether you're here at our Reach campus or you're joining us with our online community. We love that each and every week we get to do life and ministry together. Let me invite you right up front to grab your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. If you don't have a Bible, one of my friends is coming around the worship center right now, and I'll let you figure out which one of these guys is my friends. All you have to do is raise your hand and let them know that you'd like a Bible. It looks like the one that I have in my hand right now. You can find 1 Samuel one of two ways. Start at the beginning with the table of contents and it will give you a page number. Look for 1 Samuel chapter 4. Or you can start in Genesis and work your way toward the back, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then we'll hit 1 Samuel. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week with 1 Samuel beginning in chapter 4, verse 12. And I am privileged and I am pleased to get to introduce one of my closest friends over the last 17 years of life and ministry together. We started back in 2003 in Glendale, Arizona, where he was the worship pastor and I was the youth pastor. And we have since grown this this organic beauty organic organic beautiful relationship and ministry and life together uh, a couple of years ago Many of you got to be a part of a launch of a new ministry in Houston, Texas called Kingdom Story Fellowship with my friend Chris and his wife, Rebecca. And so church, would you do me a huge favor in welcoming our friend of the faith, Chris Harrison, to come and bring the word together this morning. Hey, Reach Church. I just like saying Reach Church. I like wearing it too. You got it coming? And I got it going. <laughs> reaching, reaching no matter which, I don't do a whole lot of backwards walking, but if I did, I'd be reaching. Um, it is great to be with you. It's, it's uh, oh man, you guys, I tell you this every time I come, but you've been such a harbor in the storm for my family. When we moved to Houston, we got Hurricane Harvey and then poof, and apparently there's some thing called COVID going on now. Uh, so every step of the way, we have felt your prayers and we felt your presence and we've benefited and loved uh, the friendship we have with the Andersons and, and several, of, several of your Reach Church family ongoing. Um, I got to tell you before I jump into the scripture, just walking into this place, the Holy Spirit is just doing something so new and exciting here, walking through the doors. And I'm not one of those, you know, it's not like superstition or anything, but I'm not one of those people who would walk in and go, thou dost feelest the Holy Spirit, doth thou not, you know, I'm not that guy. But walking in, you can just feel this new joy, this new energy. And I've uh, caught uh, your services online and I've seen how awesome everything looks, but it just it looks great, and it's great to see smiling faces, so it's really wonderful to be with you. Several of you have asked about my family, so I'll kind of tell you what's going on. Rebecca, uh, my wife, with whom I celebrate 25 years of marriage in just a couple of months. Apparently, I'm responsible for doing something to celebrate that. Um, if anybody has any ideas, we'll put my cell phone number up in a minute. Um, she's doing great. Uh, we are planting this church. One of the things that we've really grabbed onto is the mission of uh, making sure that children who are living in food insecure homes get a meal. So we're working with an organization called Kids Meals and uh, local schools and some of the other uh, churches in the area to mobilize and get food into homes where kids don't have food. So that's been a really important part of the ministry over the, over the last year. Food insecurity in Houston and any 
in any city is a huge deal. Uh, so we've been, we've been proud to jump into that. Um, we've got a, uh, our 22-year-old daughter is about to wrap up her creative writing program at the University of Houston. Our 18-year-old son is about to start a music performance program at University of Houston. He plays trombone, so please pray for him. <laughs> he used to play viola. Anybody play viola? Oh, praise Jesus. We can talk about it then. Um, <laughs> no, it was rough uh, with a fourth grader playing viola. Um, our 11-year-old is about to start junior high, and we're excited. He's asked if he can be in all the after-school programs, and we have said, yes. Yes, you may. As long as you've got your bike, you can, you can play whatever you want and do whatever you need to do. So we're excited about what's going on. We're looking to a new season of, of ministry uh, as we kind of relaunch the church. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to plant a church before a pandemic. Don't. If you, get, if you get word that a pandemic is coming, just press pause on those plans. But anyway, God's been faithful. It's been good. Glad to be here. Uh, I am going to enjoy my time here, and I'm headed with some of your team to Minneapolis for a training, and I'm going to enjoy those days and stretch them out because when I get home, I have to clean the garage. It's spring cleaning time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, spring cleaning is, is uh, what this year represents, what this time of year represents. And uh, my garage, um, you know, we're planning a church, so there's just a lot of church stuff in there. We've got stuff stacked, and, and it's just created this kind of like leaning tower of Jesus <laughs> in, the, in there. And we've got all this other stuff that some of it needs to get moved out and thrown away and, and other stuff needs to get taken out so we can remember that we actually have it and then put it back in and organize it and make it look nice. Because it would be cool to be able to fit a car in our two-car garage. <laughs> so that's my, that's my job when I, uh, when I get home. And I bring that up, not because I need your love and support as badly as I do, but I bring that up because as we go through this weird scripture passage today, there's something that I really want you to walk away with, Some, an important feature, an important point, an important aspect to it that I, that I want you to hold on to. And it's this. It's, what I'm about to read is, is kind of crazy. It's, it's weird. Um, but God is doing something. God is stepping into the moment in this passage. He's, he's, he's spring cleaning, if you will. You've been hearing about Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and, and those are some bad, evil dudes. Uh, God is about to do some spring cleaning. It looks bleak, but here's what God is doing. And I want you to see this. Catch this. Here's what God is doing. God is clearing a way for a prophet, Samuel, who will clear a way for a king, David who will clear a way for a dynasty that will clear a way for our Savior, Jesus. See, this, this passage that I'm going to read right now, it may look like a bleak ending, but I assure you it is a very bright beginning as well. So if you will, let's jump into the scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. And it goes like this. It begins with these words, the death of Eli. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. A man from the tribe of Benjamin 
ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later that same day. He had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle for his heart trembled for the safety of the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all the noise about? Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to him, uh, rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I've just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, my son? Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have, have been slaughtered and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed. And the ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of her delivery. When she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod which means where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. This, no matter how weird, is the word of God for the people of God. And he's got something in here for us. Will you join me in prayer? Jesus, we trust you. We believe that you are real and we believe that you are here. We believe that you are here to, to strengthen us, to empower us, to equip us, to support us through the weight of your glory. Now, as we step into this scripture for a time, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see what it is you have for us, ears to hear what, it, what your voice is saying, not, not what my voice is, is saying, but what your voice is speaking into the depth of our hearts. Lord, that you would give us a mind that can process the love that you have for us. And to that end, Lord, I pray that you would stand in my shoes, that you would move in my body, that you would think in my mind, that you would speak through my mouth those things that you would have us hear, say, and do with our lives. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So like I said, God is clearing away for a prophet who is clearing away for a dynasty king that's clearing away for a dynasty that is clearing away for our Savior, Jesus. Before I kind of get into the sermon, I want to just share with you some stuff that's going on in this passage because there's so much great stuff, almost line by line. There's great stuff to know. And once you know, you can amaze your friends with your Bible trivia. You're welcome. So uh, then I'll get to the sermon and about 207 minutes later, we'll all, we'll all be leaving. 
A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield. Now, a man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield to Israel. I, I just want to point this out. This is not, it's not, so you know the apostle Paul, you ever heard of him? What tribe is he from? Benjamin. What did he do? He ran to Israel to share news. Is that what this is saying? No, but it's like a cool happenstance. It's neat when you read it. It was to me anyway. This is going to go on all day. Um, <clears throat> okay, so he runs to Shiloh after, from the battlefield, and he has torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show grief. He has torn his clothes... And he has put dust on his head to show grief. Now, this reminds us from a picture of Job. After Job had lost everything, he sat in the dirt and he tore his clothes and he put dirt on his head to show his grief. This was a symbol of an active participation in mourning. A person would mourn physically. They didn't try to hide their tears. They got down in the dirt and they just... They just, you know, muddied themselves and tore their clothes and allowed the grief to, to make them even look a certain way so that when this guy runs into Shiloh, the people see him and they are given a sight clue by what he looks like and they know what has happened immediately because the messenger is in mourning. And that's why they give this great Outcry. That's why they cry out when they see him because they know exactly what has happened. He's given them this visual cue that it is time to grieve. But the priest, Eli, has some issues going against him. For one, the priest, Eli, is at the city gate, worried about the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Why? Because it went to the battlefield. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. And you talked about it last week. Um, if you didn't get to watch Andrew's message on, uh, last week, you got to go back and watch it. Um, it'll make me make sense if I don't, but it'll also, uh, it's good. <laughs> anyway, so the, the Eli is sitting at the gate and he's sitting down in a chair. In the New Living Translation, it says waiting. In other translations, it says sitting. And you got to know, Eli sits or lays down the whole time we know him. That's all he does. When we meet him in chapter 1, when Hannah comes into the temple, she comes, into, she comes to the church, you know, and she's on her knees and she's pouring her guts out and she's crying and she's praying. Her lips are moving because she's praying. But Eli, my brother, he's just sitting in a chair watching her. He doesn't get up. He, he doesn't know what she's doing. Can you imagine if you were praying and Pastor Andrew walked up to you and was like, what are you doing? That's a really strange posture. And I heard you say, dear heavenly father, who are you? I mean, this is kind of this scenario. Eli's watching her pray and he doesn't know what she's doing. So he yells at this heartbroken praying woman. Hey lady, you drunk? He doesn't get it. Later when we find out that he's blind, what we, what we know about Eli is he couldn't see long before he was blind. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word that is used for blind also means an inability to perceive or understand. What the writer is trying to tell us is that Eli is a priest who just doesn't get it. He doesn't get his job. He doesn't get his role. He doesn't get his God. So Eli is sitting, and so it's a bit of ironic humor that at the end of his life, it's sitting that kills him. 
Eli is not a man of action. He's not readied for the purposes of God. He's not on his feet. He's not asking God, where should I go? What should I do? Who should I serve? How, Lord, can I follow you? Where are we? What are we doing? Where are we going? He's sitting down or laying down. Poor Samuel has to hear from God three times in the night and go to our sleeping Eli, our sleeping priest, and wake him up before Eli finally gets a clue. What I'm getting at here is the worship life of Israel was in darkness. The worship life of Israel was in a bad place. And it wasn't just Eli as a priest, as a father. The news comes back that not only has the battle been lost, but his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have been killed. And I want to spend just a moment on them. You got, you got some introduction over the last couple of weeks, but... The Hebrew name Hophni, like in Hebrew, when, when a baby is given a name, it's jam-packed with meaning. At the end of this passage, the wife of Phinehas names her son Ichabod, Yechavod, and we find out it tells us that she names him that because the glory has been lost. The glory of God is out of Israel, and she names her son that. So Hophni and Phinehas, they were given names too. Like, you know, pastor dad, what's the pastor supposed to name his kids? Well, Hophni in Hebrew means fist fighter. Phineas means word fighter. Choice names, Pastor Dad. Eli, the priest of the people of Israel, he gives one son, hey, if you're going to make it out there, I don't know about God, but you're going to need these. And he gives the other son, I don't know about God, but you're going to need to eviscerate people with words. You're going to need to fight with words. You're going to need to protect yourself with words. So it's either fists or words. Go get them, boys. I mean, which one of you would name your son, Mama said, knock you out? All right. Somebody was alive in the 90s. This is good. Um, both... Uh, the Andersons and the Harrisons have a son named Caden, and Caden means battle. So we kind of did it too. But here's, here's the thing. We meant spiritual battle. We were like, you get in there and fight the spiritual battle. And the Andersons even took it a step further and said, you get in that cage and fight those drums. <laughs> See some battle. I'll show you some battle. So every step of the way, I mean, this is, this is like some of the most fun uh, deep dive in the in the bible you know when phineas's daughter is is in labor and she's giving birth and she's about to die uh what did a woman of that time need what did she want more than anything a son and they're like hey i know you're dying but at least it's a boy makes sense in the culture but she doesn't care why because her heart was where eli's heart never was and that was hungering for the glory of God. See, the problem here is Hophni and Phinehas, they cared so little for the presence of God that they carried it off to the battlefield like a trinket. They cared so little for the weight of heaven. And, and this is another way I want you to think about the glory of God. It's like the weight of heaven. When, when you are in the presence of God, the weight of heaven falls upon you. And it's not just you. It's this, it's this room of people. You bear the weight of heaven. And sometimes, sometimes we just need to say, you know what? You bear the weight of heaven. And right now I'm feeling like I have no gravity to hold me on the planet. I, I need your help. I need you to share the weight of, of heaven with me. Will you cover me in what God has given you? 
That's how the church works. That's how discipleship works. When we say, I'm not enough right now, but I'm so grateful that you are. Will you please step into my life and share the gift that God has given you? Because it's for both of us. It's for all of us. Sometimes we need to, when we're feeling like we're at a low point in believing, when we feel like our faith is running on empty, we need to be able to walk up to somebody and go, man, I'm so jazzed that right now you are at the all-time high of the strength of your belief. Can I just stand in your shade? Because right now I need your belief to sustain me. Right now I just need to know that you believe because that's going to be enough for me. I don't know where I'm at, but I trust you and I need what you've got so that that will walk me into the next new phase with God. We need each other. We need each other because we can't be everything for ourselves. I mean, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that So she names her child Ichabod, and I really am going somewhere. The glory of God has left Israel. The glory of God is no longer in Israel. The place where God belongs, the place that God created for himself, the people that he poured himself into for his own sake. Sent him away to be captured. It's like going to a restaurant And you sit down at a table and you're like, I cannot wait to try the food here. This is amazing. I love being in a restaurant because what's the one thing restaurants have? They have food. And you sit down and the waiter comes over and the waiter's like, hey, how you doing? You're like, I can't wait to see the menu because I really am starving and I really can't wait to try the food here. And he says, oh, at this restaurant, we don't serve food. But you're really going to enjoy the tables. And people come miles around to see our glassware. And when you get to see our silverware, oh, you're going to die. The point of Israel was to be the place where God dwelled and it left the building. And so my question for you today is this. Do you hunger for the presence of God? Do you hunger for the presence of God? Do do you know when his presence is not present? When we look at this scripture, it looks like it's an ending, but it is not an ending. It is a beginning. This moment that we are standing in, in this passage right now, this is where the darkness begins to give way to the light. This is when the the spiritual darkness of Israel, when it begins to get broken into by the sun of righteousness that rises with healing in his wings. See, God doesn't, he's not afraid of darkness. He's not afraid. He doesn't stay away just because it looks like the morning has gotten too long. He begins to rise and say, you know what? I am stepping in with healing. I am stepping in with restoration. I am stepping in with my strength. I'm stepping in to support you and to love you because I am God. And that is what I do. The apostle Peter, who was speaking to the church in Asia Minor, This church that had gone through a lot of suffering, this this church that had been scattered, this church that, like so many churches, was just longing to get back together and to worship and to be together in the presence of God and one another. He says these words. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory 
by means of Jesus Christ. That's so good. Let me read it again. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. What this means is the glory can't leave the building because the glory is not in a box. It's in a person and the person's name is Jesus and Jesus is real and Jesus is here and Jesus is with you. And when you are in the presence of Jesus, even if it's just a little bit, even if like today you're like, I'm just wrestling with the idea of Jesus. Let me tell you what, Jesus is not wrestling with the idea of you. So to be in the presence of Jesus is to be in the, in the fullness of the presence of God's glory. And this is what the apostle Peter is saying. He's saying, don't miss this. Because of God's kindness, he's called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So when we hit pockets of darkness, there's suffering. When we hit places where we can't see the light of the morning, when it feels like the night has gone on too long, we suffer. We feel grief, we mourn, we cry. But what Peter says is after you have suffered a little while, that's going to happen. It's natural, it's normal, it's human. Jesus will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Jesus is not backing away because you were afraid that an army was going to come and take you over. Jesus is not afraid because your last idea was a bad one. Jesus never says, look, what you did today has cast me out of your life. No, Jesus says, look, I don't care what you did, what you said, what you didn't do, what you didn't say. I can restore. I can bring healing. I am here to strengthen. I am here to support. And if you will just lean into me, the morning will come and it will not be like your night. Because I am here to restore I'm here to strengthen you. I'm here to support you. And I am here with my own hands to lay upon you the weight of heaven. Many years ago when I lived in Arizona, Arizona is a place where it's got a lot of waterfalls. And uh, I, I didn't, I hadn't seen that many of them, but uh, at this point in time, I hadn't seen one of them. And there was a particular fall that people were telling me I should go and check out. It was called Seneca Falls. And I just wasn't able to get there until I was driving home from a conference or something like that. And I just happened to see off the highway, it said exit for Seneca Falls. And, and I knew it was a short hike. So it was something I could probably go and do and then get home, you know, at a good time. So I pulled off the road and I got and, and parked in the, in the little parking area and I got out and I started the hike. And it was a beautiful hike, and I was enjoying just the sounds of nature. And uh, I was just expecting any moment to be struck by the beauty and the majesty of this waterfall. This is Seneca Falls, this, this, that wall right there. Imagine if you will, there we go. Uh, this is Seneca Falls. This, this, I was just ready to be struck by the, the beauty of it, to feel like an ant in it, you know, to, to step in the cool of the pool and to, and to feel the spray of the water coming down. And I expected that I would hear its majestic roar as I was walking and I was just enjoying the, the time. And I, I got to this place and I was like, I, I really, I feel like I should um, hear a waterfall or I should be there by now and I looked and what I saw was not this waterfall because the water wasn't falling all I saw was wet rocks <laughs> 
And I wonder if anybody here feels like your, your life with Christ, your, your spiritual walk, I wonder if anybody feels like your life right now should be a waterfall, but instead it's wet rocks. When I looked at this site, when I saw the wet rocks, I was like, man, that, that's a metaphor for my soul right now. Maybe, maybe God is trying to tell me something. Because what I want is a waterfall and what I have, <laughs> wet rocks. I want you to hear this scripture. And I want you to know that in the moment where you feel like your life in Christ may be wet rocks, that in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. The falls are coming. The rains are coming. And maybe right now, what you need to pray is, Holy Spirit, I just need the rains. I need the rains to fall because I want to be a beautiful, majestic waterfall. I need the rains to fall on my soul. Holy Spirit, bring the rain. I need to feel the, the, the power of the rain again. I want to be filled and maybe upstream, the problem was there was some debris that was gathered. And maybe right now in your life, there's, there's grief, there's sin, there's doubt, there's uncertainty. There's busyness, there's neglect. All of that, that can create kind of a dam that stops. Maybe right now, what you need to do is just say, Holy Spirit, it's time to get rid of the blockage. It's time to destroy that which is keeping me and my soul from being the waterfall that I was created to be. I, I want to be this beautiful, majestic, and powerful person because I am leaning into you. Holy Spirit, whether it's the rain or the destroying the, the dam, um, do it now. Maybe we're at a place where we're just we're just ready to say, all right, I, I'm, I'm done with wet rocks. I'm ready to be a waterfall. So bring it, bring it, Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, after you've been wet rocks for a little while, he will restore, he will reign, he will support and strengthen you. He will break through the debris that is blocking the flow of God's life in your life. And he'll place you on a firm foundation. You ready to get a restart? He'll place you on a firm foundation. And this is the best part. Peter says, all power to him forever. Amen. All power to him forever. Amen. If anybody can do this, God can do it. Amen. All power to him forever. Amen. Write it down. Whatever you have to do, highlight it, memorize it, and just say it often. All power to him forever. Amen. Because we are with a God who is about clearing away what doesn't need to be in you to put what he wants to be in you in you. He is clearing a way for his dynasty. He's clearing a way for the Savior Jesus to breathe this new and amazing life into your life. He's clearing a way for the morning to fade as the sun of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. In our church calendar right now, we're in this season that's called Lent. And the Lenten season is marked by 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter. It's 40 days that we have to journey toward the empty tomb where, where, we, where we get to walk in the direction of a tomb that was empty, a grave that could not hold him, a death that had no power over him, a mourning that came with healing in its wings. 
We take these 40 days and now there's like 14. So if you're slow to get on the the Lent train, jump on now because you only got a couple of weeks. It's just a journey where we go and, and we stand before the cross of Christ. We stand in its shadow and we realize the weight of the crucifixion, but we also embrace the fullness of the forgiveness that was poured out upon us. Like I said, Jesus is not keeping score. He's not marking a tally of, of when you've cursed or, or when you've done or said the thing that you feel you shouldn't do. Jesus has thrown the chalk away. There's no scorecard. Jesus is saying, I died on a cross to pour out the fullness of my forgiveness on you are you ready to receive it to which we get to say yes I am ready because today I want to be forgiven and I don't care how many times you've asked for that forgiveness the cross means that it is eternally available for you to receive it so we keep journeying toward this empty tomb we move through the cross and we come to this time of Easter This time when we see the risen Lord Jesus. All power to him forever. Amen. I want to invite you over the next 14 days to take this journey. I want to invite you to prepare your heart and your spirit for Easter, for this morning where the sun rises with healing in its wings, where we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. Easter is coming. Everybody's got a card on your seat inviting you to come celebrate it here. In 2003, I was asked to go on a trip to Ethiopia. And one of the places that my team went was to this place called Lalabella. Lalabella is a high region with lots of, of hills at that altitude. And in the 12th century, the 1100s, a group of Knights Templar came to this area and they dug 12 churches down into the mountain. And like, as you're walking through, you can see, it's like they did it with a spoon. You can just see the etchings one by one on these magnificent churches. This is a picture of me uh, by the by the church of the crucifixion. This is a church that marks the cross of Christ. And you can see how it's dug down into the ground and how it's been cleared out around. So people, there's, there's monks there and priests and, and they have a life there and it's multi-level. You can go up and down the stairs and it's a fully functional stone building. But at the church of the crucifixion, there's this door and it's called the gate of hell. And it's this staircase that you take down into the ground. And the reason is because it it opens up into a tunnel where you walk from the church of the crucifixion about 300 yards in pitch darkness to the church of the resurrection. You, You get to take the journey physically with all of your senses clipped in darkness, moving through this tunnel. And I remember when we all got in there and it was just so dark. We're kind of holding on to the sides of the tunnel. It's just so narrow. And and you're trying to keep an eye on who's in front of you and who's behind you. I remember when we were in there, the darkness just took us over. And the pastor that was with us, he started singing this old Latin hymn, Dona Nobis Pacem, which means give us your peace. And we began in darkness. And this single voice began to sing. Dona nobis pacem pacem. 
Dona nobis pacem. And we continued in darkness, but we were in darkness together. Dona nobis pacem, pacem. Dona nobis pacem. And we walked as one people, taking the journey of Lent literally through this darkened chamber. And then we all started to join in. And if you know it, please sing along. Dona nobis pacem, pacem. Dona nobis pacem. And off in the distance, as we walked and as we sang, asking the Lord to bring his peace, to give us his peace. And you could viscerally feel the need for Jesus in the darkness. You, you could viscerally desire the light. You, you viscerally wanted the sun of righteousness to rise in this place. A pinprick of light shone itself in the distance. And the voices became a little more confident because when the light shows up, you know the darkness is going away. Dona nobis pacem pacem. Dona nobis pacem. And the light became brighter and it began to take over the darkness and soon it was the darkness you couldn't see. Dona nobis pacem pacem. Dona nobis pacem. And we walked through this gate, the gate of the resurrection, into the sunlight where we belong. And that's the point of the journey is to know where you belong. And where you belong is in the presence, in the glory of God. Where you belong is leaning into the space where Jesus already is. In the presence of the God who loves you, who supports you, who strengthens you, who equips you, who empowers you, and who will never leave you in darkness, the light is always coming. Because what do they say? Yeah, it's dark on Friday, but Sunday's coming. The crucifixion kills somebody on Friday, but you can't keep him down because Easter's coming. We live in this Easter reality where our story doesn't end falling backwards off a chair Wondering where the glory of God has gone, our story begins with an empty tomb, with a Jesus who is the morning, who is the light of the sun, who is the son of God, who is our peace. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, and you will, and it will be a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place on you a firm foundation, all power to him forever. Stole my line. Today, as I walk away, I want to encourage you Reach church, you're making a difference. You're making a difference in places that you probably can't imagine. 
And it's because you're leaning in to the presence of God. And you're not afraid to share it. You're not afraid to take it where it needs to be. You're not afraid to give it a home. Today, if you are on the fence about Jesus, can I kick you off it? Today, if you're in a place where you're not really sure if if this whole God thing is for you, can, can I just leave you with this? This whole you thing is for God. Today, you, your belief in God may be low. But his belief in you has never been higher. His belief in you has never been greater. His comfort with who you are cannot be changed. And it cannot be moved. In him, be the power forever. Amen.